Jesus commanded us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth. I am elected. I am sanctified for obedience. First, to respond to the gospel as I hear it to be saved. Second, to respond to the instructions in the word. The word and the spirit of God is what's going to bring forth the purposes of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. A world of difference, a cut above, outstanding and exceptional. These are similar terms that describe something so superior it's literally set apart from the others. And that's exactly how the concept of sanctification can be defined, as one set apart. But set apart for what? Well, in a Simple Truth study titled The Believer and Election, our teacher, Pastor Xavier, explains that God has set apart each one of his followers for his unique purpose. Let's listen. Peter tells us that election is by the power of God. In sanctification of the Spirit. The word sanctification means to be set apart. The root word is used for the word saint, hollow, holy, sanctified, sanctification, sanctifies. It simply means to be set apart. It is through the sanctification of the Spirit, mark it well there, that we are brought unto God. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, God says this to Jeremiah, I knew you, I sanctified you, and I ordained you. He set him apart. For who? For himself. And so God has elected us. God has saved us. For a setting apart purpose. In the Old Testament, the firstborn were set apart to be the priest of the home. They were set apart for the service of God. In the Old Testament, the temple was set apart as a place where God would meet man. It had a unique purpose for the service and use of God. The Levites, through the book of Leviticus, were called to sanctify certain vessels for the purposes and service of God. And so we have been sanctified in and through the Spirit in our election for the purposes of God. Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God. And that we are to conduct ourselves in such a way as if we do belong to God. Now, sanctification has two aspects. Sanctification, which is instantly, immediate, when you accept the Lord. The Holy Spirit is already working in your heart to open the eyes of your understanding, to respond to the Word of God. You heard the Word of God. For whatever reason you came and you heard and the Spirit made it real in your heart that you needed to repent and to be saved. And the Holy Spirit was already doing a sanctifying, a setting apart work in your heart to respond to the Word of God. Without the work of the Spirit... The word makes no sense. And so it's immediate sanctification by the work of the Spirit and the word of God. From evil to God. But secondly, there's sanctification that is progressive. It's ongoing. You might think of the first as imputed righteousness. You're justified in Christ. 
But then you come to Christ after the fact of salvation and there is imparted righteousness. That sanctifying work that goes on in my life by the prompting of the Spirit and the yielding of my obedience. There again you have the two blend. God doesn't force me. I must yield. I must render my body, my mind, my members. Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. It's a continuous work of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me illustrate the fact of sanctification in a very vivid and very simple way. Now, some of us have dogs and some of us have cats at home. And you love that pet so much. At least you give evidence by it, by the fact that you have sanctified a bowl for his food. And you are so faithful to that, that he's the only one that eats out of it. Your son and daughter are not allowed to eat their Cheerios out of it. You do not eat ice cream out of it. Only that dog, that's his bowl. You have sanctified that bowl for that animal. That's the picture that God gives here for you and myself. That you are sanctified to him and him alone and you are not to be used for any other purpose. Heavy. Now, do we love our dogs more than we love God? See, we have to recognize that God desires to have us all to himself. Now, when I want somebody just to myself, it's usually selfish. When God wants me all for himself, it's wisdom. Because he's the best thing for me. Anything apart from him contaminates me, defiles me. He is that screen. He is that filter that allows me to know what I can be joined to. Because primarily in my heart and mind, I belong to Him. Now it's the Spirit and the Word that sanctifies my walk in God. We are told to come out of every unclean thing and to be separate. We used to walk this way, now we walk this way. We used to do these things, now we don't do them. Because I've got a new mind, a new heart, and I belong to someone else. We're to be holy even as He is holy. We're commanded to abstain from fornication. For this is God's will for our sanctification. Because my body is the instrument of God. And when I get involved in sex before marriage, then I sin against my own body and I sin against God because it's His temple. But when I have sex in the context of marriage with my wife or you with your husband, God blesses it. God honors it. Because he gave you all the equipment, and if he gave you the equipment, he wants you to use it, but in the context of marriage. And so there are many things in Scripture that are given to us regarding our sanctification, how we are to conduct ourselves. And it is the Word of God that gives us those guidelines. Jesus said to the Father in John 17, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And that is why Paul tells the Ephesians that Christ is sanctifying his bride by the washing of the water of the Word. The Word and the Spirit of God have a washing effect upon my life continually. That's why Jesus told Peter 
if I can't wash your feet, you neither have part nor lot with me. He uses two Greek words. The first word for wash is you have been totally bathed, saved. But what you need to do is nipto. You need to wash a portion of your body, your feet, because as you walk in this world, you get dirty. And I've given you my sacrifice, my blood, my altar, my covenant to continually be cleansing yourself by the washing of the water by the word. Hebrews 12, 14 says, follow peace with all men and holiness. Same root word. Let me change that. And sanctification, without which no man shall see the Lord. And so we see God's will, that we be sanctified in election. He's planned it. He's ordained it. And we're sanctified by His power of the Spirit. And yet we're involved. He doesn't force us. Thirdly, Peter says that election has a purpose. Look at the end of verse 2. For obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. First, for obedience. I am elected. I am sanctified. For obedience. Nothing but obedience. First, to respond to the gospel as I hear it, to be saved. Second, to respond to the instructions in the word to ordain and to order my manner of life. I am not to run my life as the people of the world. And that is why the psalmist says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? And he says, In my heart have I hid thy word that I might not sin against thee. The Word and the Spirit of God is what's going to keep you sanctified. The Word and the Spirit of God is what's going to bring forth the purposes of God. It's primarily in obedience, not sacrifice. But secondly, for sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. What does this mean? These guys are saved. What is Peter talking about? Well, Peter was a good old Jew. Hebrew, he did law. He was well familiar with sacrifice and the covenant of old. And he knew that as he was writing to these dispersed Christians, and many of them, and for the most part, were Jews, though not exclusively, as we study the epistle, that their mind would go back to the old covenant, and they knew that in Exodus, Moses took and sprinkled half of the blood on the altar and half of the blood on the people, sealing the covenant at Sinai. The blood gave witness to the agreement, to the covenant, to the responsibility on God's part and on man's part. Aaron, the high priest, was sprinkled with blood after they put all that pretty vesture on, gold, mitre, the breastplates, the stones, just beautiful dress. Then what did they do? They took a big old thing of oil, poured it over his head, it poured down his beard all the way down, and then they sprinkled blood on him. <laughs> Blood. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It signified the agreement and appropriation and responsibility of the covenant. You see, Peter is saying here is that we are sanctified for obedience and unto the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. To appropriate that benefit, the book of Hebrews says that without the Shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. 
And everything in the Old Testament pointed to the sacrifice of Christ. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. The entire book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is better than angels, better than, than the sacrifices, better than Moses, better than Aaron. He's just plain better. His blood is pure. Everything pointed to Christ. And we have boldness to walk into the throne of grace because when we walk in, the Father sees the blood of Christ upon us. And 1 John 1, 9 says, If we are faithful to confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's an ongoing process of purging and cleansing that keeps me right with God, the blood of Jesus Christ, not my works. And so Jesus gave the true meaning of the Passover, the fulfillment as He sat with His disciples. So this is the blood of the New Testament shed for the remission of sins. My blood, pure blood, sinless. Peter says, not Redeemed by corruptible things of silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, without sin. 23 chromosomes of Mary, 23 chromosomes of the Holy Spirit. Well, then you say, well, wasn't his blood contaminated? No, because the baby's blood never mixes with the mother, ever. Jesus' blood was 100% pure. And therefore, the Father sees his blood upon me. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 1.7, we have redemption through the blood and forgiveness of sins. Now, remember in the book of Exodus, as God instituted the Passover and he said, this night, the angel of death is going to come through. Those of you who are Jews, Hebrews, get in your houses, put the blood on the doorpost, the lentil. And when the angel of death comes by, he sees the blood, the Hebrew literally says he'll leap over. The angel of death is a good hurdler. He sees the blood, over. Now, God sees the blood upon me. The wrath of God is no longer upon me because the blood of Jesus Christ has atoned for my sins, has covered me. And so Peter says, for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, that means that it was appropriate as salvation and it is a basis by which I come before God the rest of my life until I'm before Him. It's interesting that even in the Great Tribulation, it will be by the blood of Christ that the saints there will overcome. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 7, 14. But not only for obedience, not only for sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Look at the last part of it. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. For living under God's benefits. He's elected me to live under His benefits. The gift is grace. Everything that comes to my life comes because of grace and through grace. The word is charis, unmerited favor, undeserved beauty, attractiveness. The New Testament is saturated in the source of grace. It's the origin of all of God's blessings. And they were ordained along with my predestination, Ephesians 1.3 says. God didn't save me and then says, well, let's see how good he is and we'll see how much we bless this boy. <laughs> he says the blessings came with the ordination and predestination. 
Now I like that. You see, it is grace in which I have to function under. It is only grace that can be sufficient for my life. And that is why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but it's Christ. And yet the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying that he's living under the blood. He's living under the benefit of the cross. He's living under grace. For Galatians says not works, but grace. And the door for that is faith. The just shall live by faith. You're a recipient of grace through faith. But the result of grace is always peace. Now, when we first came to Christ, we made peace with God. Romans 5 says we were justified. God was at war with us. Make no mistake of that before you came to Christ. And if you haven't come to Christ, God's at war with you this morning. Because you're in sin and you're an enemy of God. And we made peace with God through the blood of Christ. And we are justified in the work of Christ. And so, first of all, we made peace with God. But the peace here is speaking about the peace of God after the fact of salvation. Not the peace at the point of salvation, but after the fact of salvation. That which is the benefit for each of us. The word in the Greek is to join or to set at one again. It is used to set broken bones. You cannot have the peace of God until you make peace with God. And you'll never experience the peace of God until you receive the grace of God. Grace always precedes peace in the New Testament. You will never find it the other way around. Now, the world is always looking for peace. Today, people are looking for peace. And so they can gather some peace at some point at some time for some land. They go out to the mountain. They get this beautiful cottage. And, you know, the breeze just blows and leaves blowing. And they don't have nothing to do. And so they're peaceful for a weekend. But it's not lasting peace. When you think of the peace of God, I don't want you to think of that cabin in that mountain. The peace of God is this. Jesus is in the middle of the storm and he's sleeping. <laughs> the disciple says, Lord, don't you care that we perish? <laughs> oh, you have little faith. The peace of God that comes upon my life in spite of the circumstance situation is a common sight even though there's violence outside. That's the work of the Spirit. Beyond my understanding... But these benefits of grace and peace, Peter says he wants them to be multiplied. How? Peter in his epistle, in the second epistle, chapter 3, verse 18 says, By and through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, grace is an attribute of God that's called immutable. That means it doesn't increase it does not decrease. It just is. It is eternal. And so the grace of God really doesn't grow. But as I grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, I become aware of God's grace much more in my life. And His goodness and His benefits. And I take them and appropriate them into my life. The demoniac at Gadara was saved by Jesus, delivered. Jesus got in the boat. He desired to go with him. He says, let me go with you. Jesus turned and said, return to your house 
and tell them all that God has done for you. See, God has saved us for a purpose. He has ordained us. He has elected us for a purpose. Obedience. It would have been neat to go with Jesus, but he says, you go back home. You go back home and show them what God has done. You go back home and show them through your obedience to the word of God. You go back home and minister them the word of God. You go back home and live in grace. You go back home and experience the peace so that they can see it. You go back home and live abundantly. God's purposes for that man. God has purposes for you. Peter in his second epistle in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, and he's talking because of the reason that we have a divine nature, we're new creatures. Listen, and to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. You see multiplied? <laughs> it's implied here. The Christian life is not static. For if these things are yours and abound, there's another word again implying multiplication. You will be neither barren, literally useless, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling an election. There's the word again. Sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly. There's multiplication again. Into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, God desires us to understand that our election is for a purpose. Not only obedience, not only for the continual appropriation of, God, of Christ's blood, but that we might live abundantly under the benefits of God, His grace, His peace, and all that to be multiplied. Jesus says, I didn't come to give you just life, but life more abundantly. And often some of us live far short and less than what God has desired for us to do. There you have God's will and our choice. You cannot exclude one or the other. The spirit and the bride says come. And let him that heareth says come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will let him take the waters of life freely. That is the message for you today if you don't know Jesus. Yes, election, predestination is scriptural. But don't forget man's free will. How do they work? I don't know. Grab the one with left hand, grab the other with the right hand, and walk in John 15. Abide in Jesus Christ. Election is the plan of God. Election is by the power of God. And election has a purpose. Grab a hold of those truths. Meditate upon them. And then walk in them. Even today, if you haven't been. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up a heartfelt challenge for sanctified living, walking in obedience, abiding in Christ. Now, today's study is simply titled The Believer in Election and is available on CD for just $4. Everything we shared last time will be included as well, so it makes a convenient way to study the message more in depth and then pass on to someone else you know. The title to ask for once more is The Believer and Election, or just mention today's date when you get in touch. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. It's only natural to rejoice when the good times roll. But is there any reason to rejoice when things aren't going our way? That's our topic for the next Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com